Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny. And you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing and creativity amongst life's many other demands. Today, for the first episode, we thought we would introduce ourselves and a little bit about our writing life. Um, And then we're going to move on to talking about how on earth we're managing to write right now and just for context in case anyone's listening in the future this is the very end of january in 2001 so i don't think you need to know why we're asking that question how we are managing to write at the moment because we are in quite serious lockdown here in london so ali do you want to introduce yourself first yeah absolutely um i live in london with my husband and four children so life is a little bit busy uh the oldest of the kids is 15 which makes it a little bit easier because she can kind of fend for herself but the younger ones are eight nearly seven and nearly four so the 17 months between my sons which um is a bit challenging at times yes um they're very boisterous children as well so lockdown has been um a steep learning curve i think but my writing background is that i always uh wrote when i was little i used to write horrific little stories um about poor starving victorian children and they definitely weren't (laughs) cribbed from anywhere at all um and i had a wee pink binder that i used to put them in but i couldn't do beginnings and i couldn't do endings which was a flaw um and actually still my flaw endings i say so many people find the middle the hardest bit so yeah, I could do the middle. Do the middle. I could, <laughs> yeah, I could do the middle bit because what used to happen was they ran away from home quite often um, with no shoes on. And it, <laughs> they were horrific little stories, but I was very attached to them. And um, yeah, I, I loved writing. My mom taught me to read when I was three. So I was bored out my brain when I started school. And I never did anything at all. Um, with writing until I was 30 and I started, no actually I was about 29 and I went to an evening class at Edinburgh Uni and I didn't know if I'd be any good or not which was why I went to the evening class because I thought it would be really simple I thought I would go in and the tutor would look at me and say nope you definitely can't do this and that wasn't the case at all I went in and the tutor was lovely she obviously wore a lot of kind of flowing clothes and wooden beads like a lot of creative writing (laughs) tutors who are doing evening classes tend to wear um and yeah she encouraged me to write and I still wasn't convinced that I could write so I um applied to do an ME in creative writing at Napier University in Edinburgh and again I thought well I'll go to the interview and they will say definitely not and I went to the interview and it was amazing it was one of the most challenging interviews I've ever had it was really tough oh and by the way I can't wait to hear all about that because I think we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into whether or not to do an MA in yes exactly yeah about that but sorry Yeah. yeah so um so yeah I didn't think I'd get in and I got in and then I was loving it and about four months into the MA I fell pregnant with my second child, my first son. So I graduated on his due date, very heavily pregnant (laughs) and I got the distinction and won the class medal. So I thought, well, I think that means that some people think I can write, but I still wasn't entirely convinced myself. And then I had my first son and then my second son and life got very blurry and I continued to write. I was determined that I was still going to write, but I didn't write anything particularly well. And I don't think that's very surprising given the kind of life circumstances that were going on at the time. And then I had um, my fourth child and when she was one, I decided that I was really going to give this a go. And the way I decided to give it a go was that I was going to treat writing as work. It was no longer something that I felt bad about doing. I think I felt quite guilty about doing it. And also quite guilty about thinking that I could do it. I had 
bookshelves filled with other people and it seemed that other people wrote the books other people were in the books i feel like this is so common isn't it and i think um again this is something we're going to both dive into because i think we've both got mm -hmm. quite a lot of experience in this i think every woman who writes has a lot of experience in this this idea of giving ourselves permission to be the absolutely like the yeah um yeah it does take a mindset shift doesn't it to be like no no this is what i do now and i'm going to treat it with the respect it deserves mm -hmm. and give it the attention it needs in order to do this seriously. Yeah, and I think that was really it. It was as soon as I kind of twisted that kind of pivoted it in my head that, right, I'm going to make this become work. And the only way that I could make it become work was to treat it like it was work before it was work. And um, I, so when I was putting the kids to bed, I, would write 3,000 words every night. I was very focused on word count and I wrote a first draft of my memoir very quickly and it was not very good at all. But <laughs> it was there, there was a structure, there was something to work with. And if I hadn't done that first draft, there wouldn't have been anything else to work with subsequently. Um, and then- oh, hang on, let me just, I, just um, clarify, you wrote, you wrote the first draft of the memoir, which listener, I have read chunks of it. It is amazing. I haven't <laughs> had the chance to read all of it yet because I'm not allowed to read all of it yet. But um, so you wrote that sitting in your little boy's bedroom as they fell asleep with your laptop. Yeah, yeah like hunched over my laptop. <laughs> and then the second draft wasn't much better. Um, it was written I, so I went away from the first draft for quite a long time for a couple of months and didn't look at it and made notes on what I felt was wrong just from kind of what was left in my head and went away and worked a lot on structure and kind of underpinning it with an actual story and a narrative arc and then I rewrote that and my husband worked compressed hours so he would work five days in four and I had one day a week to write when the kids were at school and I would write when my daughter was napping and I wrote on Thursdays and Sundays and I was really strict about it for the second draft um, and then I sent off to an agent and once I was agented again that gives you the permission as well I think to really take it seriously because at that stage it's like you've got someone else invested in it as well as well so yeah Definitely well, there's difference. so many different things in there that we need to discuss. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I think, yeah. I think some of them potentially for whole episodes. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's so interesting. And so, so um, quickly then talk us how you went from agent to where you are now. Yeah, so I got my agent in October 20. 19 time just doesn't make sense anymore 2019 and he was brilliantly supportive of the work from as soon as he got my career email he it was just brilliant um sorry that's the cat knocking things off the table <laughs> he needs some love for a cat yeah so he was really supportive um and we worked really closely on the text together for a good kind of four months just to get it into a really good solid shape mm -hmm. and then it went out to publishers um in february 2020 and then the world ended in march um great and, timing oh my god so it was a long and um arduous wait to find out what was happening but everything worked well in the end, and um, I the book will be published by Ebury at Penguin Random House, so that is massively exciting. Very and exciting. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm elbow deep, knee deep, wading through rewrites <laughs> at the moment, but I'm nearly there, very very close to being done on the first round of rewrites, and then of course it will be going back to the next round and so on but yeah so that's that's kind of my backstory i suppose to how i got to where i am today this might be a good point to tell the listeners how we know each other actually 
that um, we've only known each other since, what, the beginning of 2020, early on in 2020. We were introduced by some mutual friends because we started a writing group, which has turned out to be like the saviour of the worst year in history. Absolutely. It's been incredible. (laughs) We're so fortunate. I think writers groups can potentially be um, maybe patchy at best. group of women that have come together and everyone's very um engaged and very committed and give gives excellent critique like a real critique not just kind of um you know um niceties i guess and uh and we've all really relied on each other quite heavily this past year which has been such a tricky year so it's been really wonderful so that's how ali and i um met so it's only we've only known each other for about a year maybe even a tiny bit less than a year i think it's a bit less because i was in london when we had our first um writers meetup yeah virtually of course virtual meetups Um, yes yes yeah um yeah i think that that's really been kind of the glue that's kept this year going. And also to have our self-imposed monthly deadlines has been absolutely invaluable too. Oh, the deadlines. And in fact, that's, again, probably a whole other episode that we need to do about, um, about how good writers groups are for support and deadlines. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we really have looked at. So how about you? What's your background? So um, I am a mother of two, Arthur and Agnes, who are 11 and 9 now, which is weird when I say that. Like, that's quite recent, those new ages. And so it just seems so <laughs> grown up. Um, and I'm a single parent. Um, and also Arthur is autistic and has learning difficulties. And so our life is quite... Um, I'd say probably a bit complicated in many ways. Two different schools, one specialist school, one local school. Um, all the complications that come along with that um, and all the complications of being a single parent as well. Um, and I am sure you probably can hear a tiny bit, maybe not that much. I am Australian. I wasn't born here, and but I have lived here for about 20, 21 years. In fact, now I've lived in London, which is insane. But so if you hear me sometimes sounding really Australian and sometimes sounding quite British, that is the reason why. Um, and uh, my first book was published in June um, this past year in the middle of lockdown, which was interesting. Um, and it's called Tender, The Imperfect Art of Care. Which is narrative nonfiction. It's about being a carer. Um, it has got some memoir aspects, although not strictly memoir. It is nonfiction. Um, so that was an interesting experience, um, which I think, yeah, again, I think that's something that we can go into at some point. Absolutely, I think it's kind of really life writing is is a yeah challenging and interesting experience. Yeah. So what what kind of prompted the choice to make it not straight up memoir? Oh, I never actually wanted to write a straight up memoir on it. <laughs> I just, it's really interesting because I love memoir as a genre. I absolutely love it. I have so many, and especially the last sort of three or four years. And I feel like memoirs really as a genre is really coming into its own. And I don't know if that's because people are marketing memoirs better now. So we're, we're kind of really getting a hold of them. Um, or I'm just, I just feel like I'm the stories, particularly of women are really kind of, mm-hmm. um, they're just so strong now. Publishers are, I think are really getting behind them. Um, yeah, I think so. I think there's been a big um, shift in how memoirs viewed as well. I think it used to be almost a bit of a dirty word for a while. Um, and that's actually what drew me to it because I'm quite stubborn and I, and <laughs> I, I kind that. of wanted, I, I wanted to go, right, you know, this thing that people seem to think is quite easy because there was a lot of kind of misery memoir around. Yes. Um, and I think it, it made yes. people a bit sniffy and I thought, right, I want to take that and do something with it. And I definitely am not the only person who's decided to do that in the last few years and I think one of the books that really changed my mind about memoir actually was a few years ago Ariel Levy's memoir um oh gosh the name is now completely left my head I'm gonna have to look it up but anyway uh there's there was just a few in succession that were just so incredible that um that I I really do love but the reason I decided I didn't Mm -hmm. was because actually I was far more interested in how my experience fit in within a wider context and so that's why I wrote 
um, I wrote the book as narrative nonfiction and why my story was a part of it, but it wasn't a whole because for me, I know, and I think um, the thing for me that's interesting about writing is because I want to research, I want to question other people, I want to talk to other people, I want to process things, I want to investigate. And um, to me, my own story on its own is not interesting, but my own story within a wider context mm-hmm. is interesting. So that's why I decided to <laughs> write it that way. <clears throat> but um, so yes, that was um, this past year. And so I have not been a writer my whole career by any means. I'm actually a professional photographer. Um, at this point now, I actually am finally comfortable with saying I am both a writer and a photographer. But mm-hmm. I've been a professional photographer for 15 years. And before that, I was an assistant to photographers um, in fashion and documentary. So it's been my whole career since I'd left uni. But at uni, I did um, a double major in film and creative writing. So mm-hmm. actually, in the beginning, I was a writer and that's what I did and that's what I focused on. But at the end of uni, I decided to go into photography and I just kind of ended up at staying in that industry. But I knew the whole time actually that I was going to come back to writing. And through my 20s, I did keep writing but I didn't share it with anyone I was writing fiction and actually it was YA um, which I don't know if I've told you that about that before but I was really into YA and uh, and then I I know YA and like middle grade I was I'm and I still love those genres I have to say but um, I was writing just dabbling on the side just for fun and then uh, when I had small children and you know having small children and running your own business as a photographer, I basically just decided to put my focus on photography for quite Mm -hmm. a while because I have a lot of energy for a lot of different things. And because I kept working the entire time. Um, So really it was when my youngest, who's now nine, when she started school, so only five years ago that I just decided, I was like, right, that's it. Um, I'm going to have Fridays for the first time because she was never in any kind of childcare on a Friday. So I was going to have Fridays for the first time. And I decided at that point, right, it's time to ring fence that time mm-hmm. writing and I'm going to do this. And I, um, so what I did was I went to, I went and did a city lit course. The city lit is a university in, um, like a college in, in central London. And yeah, I went I and did quite, like a, just yeah. like a, yeah, it's really good. And it was just like a lunchtime fiction writing class. Mm-hmm. And it was just to get me going again. I just use it as like a little kind of like a jump start almost. Yeah thinking I was going to go and write fiction and mm. then actually what ended up happening is um, I got back into a writing habit which was really fantastic and then I started doing a few um, guest blog posts for a few people um, mm. based on some life experiences of mine like my mum my who died by suicide and I was her carer and um, and a few different things like that which is just my slightly unusual background and the response I had to those um, pieces that were published online was just phenomenal, actually. And I hadn't quite ever really considered um, going down that route of life writing and writing writing from experience and doing um, journalism based on experience. And, um, and I was kind of blown away, actually, by it, um, by realising that some of the things I'm quite comfortable with now talking about my mother's death now is <laughs> yeah. something that I'm quite comfortable with and I realised because it's been a long time, it's been 21 years mm-hmm. and it's something that I sort of had sort of taken a bit for granted that I'd processed all of that and I'm, and it was really quite, I was com- comfortable with writing mm-hmm. about it and so based on that I ended up starting doing a bit of blogging to kind of test out the waters a bit with some of those things that I was interested in and then just started pitching to some magazines and newspapers and writing articles um, along some of those lines around the things that interest me about caring and things. And, um, yeah, it just sort of went from there. And then I suddenly realized that I had to write about caring and I couldn't quite let it go. Like it just wouldn't yes. leave me alone. And I realized, because I started writing fiction and I mm. realized that this book that I needed to write about caring and being a carer was not going to go away and uh-huh. I it out before I had to do anything else. Do you know, I don't think I've told you this either, but um, it's in my book, but <laughs> I basically um, did exactly the same. I wrote fiction. Um, I wrote an 
awful novella uh, it was really <laughs> really bad it was a novel and it was so um plotless and loose that I cut it down to call it a novella to be nice and fancy and thought oh I'll send that out to people and funnily enough nobody wanted it and then when I read it back I realized that I had basically turned a lot of my life into metaphor and shoved it into a novella and it was the exact same thing as you as I thought there is a story and there's a story that won't go away until I get that story out and that kind of reconfigured everything that I believed about writing. I thought that the writer was in control and I thought that you could choose what stories you wrote and uh, that that would just be magnificent and that's the way it went. And it's not the way it goes at all. And so I had to do exactly the same thing. Um, my memoir is called The Last Days and it's about life as a Jehovah's Witness and subsequently leaving and yeah that had to come at me first mm. I, I feel it was almost a kind of I just felt like I couldn't keep this background that had been such a big part of my life for up until my late 20s a secret almost um, and weirdly it was something that I hadn't told anyone apart mm. from my husband um, I hadn't told any of my friends or anybody. I couldn't speak about it. It made me feel ill to talk about. And I thought, well, I'll make a book out of it, which seems like <laughs> such a bizarre choice when you don't feel comfortable talking about something. But I think I've become um, the whole process of writing and distance and all of that makes you almost, in a way, a little bit numb to things as well. So, yeah very similar to yeah, you yeah it's funny isn't it like yeah so I just um I'm now well we'll talk about that in a minute what we're writing now but it was it was a um it was a project that I realized I had to do first because it was missing I realized that mm -hmm. there was a whole conversation that wasn't happening that Absolutely, I needed yeah. to happen and so that's sort of what prompted me to write the proposal so I wrote the proposal um and then got an agent and got an agent I have to say quite easily which meant to me I realized when there was quite a bit of interest I realized that oh it was the right thing to follow my instinct <clears throat> to talk about the yeah. thing that I needed to talk about because I think in a way that's a lot of what writing is it's about trusting mm -hmm. um what interests us and trusting what's pulling us creatively um because Absolutely, I could see yeah. there was this big conversation that wasn't really happening mm -hmm. and it, it was interesting to me to have agents come back to me and seeing that from the page and seeing that yes why are we not talking about this why is this conversation not happening in the wider public mm -hmm. so that was really fantastic and then again with the whole um, publishing process there was quite a bit of interest in the book. And again, that again reaffirmed that I can trust my instincts that this is a conversation that, that did need to be had, um, mm -hmm. which was really brilliant. So that happened first and that was published last year. It was really great. Um, and then um, I'm working on other things now, but I think we're going we're gonna to talk about that next. But that sort of, I guess, gets us up to speed. So in a way, I think probably you could say we're both quite young. We're very young in our publishing careers. I've only yes. published my book in 2020. Um, Ali, yours is coming out next year. And so I think from the point of view of this podcast, I think um, what's really interesting to us is that we're kind of, we've started and we're going, but we're still quite young in our careers. And we've also had other very different careers that have fed into our exactly, writing yeah. as well and those experiences um but also um we both come from creative other creative backgrounds mm -hmm. um and yeah. and so we've we have a long history with um with creative work as well on top of um being quite newish to the publishing world so that's where we're both coming from um and i think today i guess aside from um sharing a little bit about who we are and our backgrounds um we thought probably what a good place to start would be is how on earth are we writing right now the way Absolutely, the state yeah. of the world is right now and the state of um, our families um so yeah i think we should probably begin there ali at the moment how are you during lockdown in early 2021, how are you managing to get any writing done? 
Um, it's not easy. I think I kind of need to be cards on the table that it isn't um, uh, by any means simple. Um, my husband works full time and has a relatively new job and it is a big um, job that he has as well. So he is really busy during office hours um, and that means that we kind of sat down at the beginning of this third cycle of lockdown <laughs> we sat down and spoke about how we could make it work and I very much felt that for me it doesn't work to just try and snatch writing here and there and it doesn't work for me to not know when I can do it because I get anxious and I get grumpy and I'm now in the situation where it is work so I have deadlines and I have things that I have to deliver and I've worked so hard to make this work that I'm not going to mess it up just because there's a plague. Um, so it, it isn't easy but the way I'm making it work is because I actually think that writing has always been the thing that keeps me sane and it's the thing that I actually escape into. It's the thing that helps me think, it's the thing that keeps me whole and if I was to sacrifice that during this time, I would be finding it much harder than I am. Um, and so what I'm doing is I am getting up early to write. I have seen the dawn every single day um, since January started. And to begin with, I hated it. I was quite resentful and had completely the wrong attitude. Um, and then something just clicked and I love the early mornings. I love it. I get up and I pop the kettle on the stove and I sit down and I can't spell first thing in the morning. That's probably the biggest drawback, <laughs> I think, of, um, of facing up. It's fine. It's yeah, because I literally get up and go and sit in the kitchen and start working just with like thick socks and a dressing <laughs> gown on and have a cup of herbal tea to kind of try and hope that it kickstarts my brain. And then I get in a good few hours of work and my husband does breakfast and does getting the kids ready um for their day and then they get registered online and then we go out for our walk um about nine o'clock give them a good run around come back do schoolwork do housey things and what i make sure is that any admin emails all the kind of other side of writing that's very invisible and hidden but exists um all of that i save for the afternoon so that in the mornings i am just purely writing and focusing on words on the page um, and then my husband puts the children to bed and I go back to work in the evenings um, until my brain isn't working anymore. I don't give myself a word count because some days it will be really kind of close work, it will be line edits, it's that kind of thing and then sometimes there's bigger yeah. bits of work to do. So it's worth saying and reminding that you're not on a you're not in a first draft here, you're on you're deep in edits exactly you're getting yeah. quite close to the end of edits right close-ish um getting towards the end. um <laughs> yeah but, but the the um the way i'm editing is by rewriting right so yes. the i have since um october type time between october and now i've written about a hundred thousand words i've completely basically rewritten manuscript um but i obviously had all of the the scenes in place yeah but i have rewritten them because i find that i just it doesn't work in my head otherwise i'm really bad oh, at editing a scene how i yeah i edit by rewriting and i will rewrite obsessively and quite compulsively so when it comes to rewriting i will at times focus on like one paragraph um for an hour and make sure that it that the rhythm that everything is working in it so yeah I get mm. a bit obsessed and actually weirdly I find that writing in the kind of the pre-dawn time really helps with that it lends itself to the book so I yeah. am such an early morning person so I can mm. completely see how you're enjoying that I am not actually getting up early in the morning at the moment um, because and actually I probably could start because my son's sleep is 
is much more predictable now, but because traditionally my son has not slept in a predictable manner, meaning that he could be up at any point from 2 a.m. onwards, I have just throughout his life not relied on mornings anymore because yeah, of, of that unpredictable nature. So there's no point in setting my alarm if he's going to wake up at four or he's mm-hmm. going to, you know, there's just no point. And also if I woke up, he would likely to be waking up with my, if he could hear my, he could hear my alarm and he would wake up as well. But actually things have changed quite a bit this past year, partly I think just because he's getting older and, and things are changing yeah. um, and partly because I'm keeping him up later and actually weirdly that's helping his sleep, keeping him up quite late. So yeah, I should probably go back there because before I had kids, I loved doing morning pages. I would get up in the morning and just write, like do journaling first thing in the morning. And I used to absolutely love it. And I also love being alone first thing in the morning. Well, see, that's the thing about being a parent. The hardest thing. I love it now. I love that alone time. And I think if I wasn't getting it, I would find it so hard because the days are very full on. They're jam-packed. That it's really busy, it's really hard um, trying to come to terms with all the different Google Classroom and the work that the kids are doing and trying to remember how to divide things and, and all of this. And I'm loving teaching them English. I've learned a lot about grammar that I didn't know existed, <laughs> terrifyingly. Um, but yeah, I find, and I was never, I've never been a morning person ever. I really, I just, I love my bed and I love being cosy and I take about four hours to wake up. So this has been like this complete revelation that I can actually so do it. Oh, I want, I bet there'll be people out there listening who kind of think, hmm, maybe I won't hate it as much as I think I will. And maybe they'll be willing to try. But I think it's funny, isn't it? It's like when you desperately need that alone time and you can't get it at any other time and you're willing to try things you wouldn't usually try to get that time. Um, sometimes we discover things that work. Exactly. I think you kind of are pushed to innovate sometimes when things are hard. Um, I realise that it can sound a little bit sanctimonious to be, well, I'm getting up super early. Um, I wouldn't be, I don't think I would be if I didn't have a contract and I didn't have work to deliver because this is very much, this is work. Um, And I'm conscious that people will be listening um, to this who will be working full-time and will be parenting full-time and will be teaching a lot to children as well and um, I think if I was in that situation I'm not sure how I would find time to write. Um, Yeah Yeah, we had this conversation earlier today because we have we have a mutual friend who um, is struggling to meet a self-imposed deadline not a not an external exposed one and um and we were both, and she was wondering how we were both managing with our particular deadlines because we're both meeting deadlines at the moment. And the difference is, um, is that it's our paid work at the moment. And mm-hmm. so we, I have to, I mean, I'm a single parent and I work freelance and I'm also a photographer. So I basically have to run two businesses at the moment as a writer and a photographer. But my photography is not happening, right? It's not happening. I'm not earning any money as a photographer mm-hmm. right now. And there is no backup financially for me um, if I can't earn money. So I'm very motivated at the moment by earning money and you're very motivated by um, meeting deadlines. And not that they are the only reasons to be motivated to work and we'll both talk about different points which we've been working without those things in place. But at the moment in the kind of quite intense situation that we're in now, we do all need to give ourselves a little bit of a break Mm -hmm. um, and be a little bit realistic. But I would also say that just like you, if I had to, it's not just that I I need the money. It's definitely not just that because I could find other ways to make money. I'm sure it's also that it's having that thing that's just for you. Mm -hmm. And it's having that time of the day that's just for you and having to concentrate on something else that's not looking after the other people in your household that keeps me just like you it keeps me completely sane Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not even just the time alone it's the time to think and um and to write and to think quite deeply and seriously about a topic that interests me and that's something I'm researching um and to give that part of myself time and space is the thing that, yeah, it literally keeps me sane. 
it keeps me sane. Yeah, I feel very much the same. I feel as well that it's completely erroneous, but at the moment, getting up and working and managing to keep doing about the same amount of work that I would do when the kids were in school and my wee girl was in nursery helps me feel like I'm in control of something which helps with this whole situation because I kind of feel that like well I'm managing on some level there's lots of levels where I feel that I'm not quite managing the house as a tip but I (laughs) kind of feel like I've got a certain element of control I can control the things that I can control Mm. um and that really helps as well and if I wasn't writing and doing that I don't think I would have that feeling and so I think it's directly connected to my mental health as well I think that I feel um quite bizarrely quite capable at the moment um Mm. because I'm doing something that I didn't know I could do like you say you sometimes get forced into a situation and you find out something new about yourself um so that's actually something quite nice that's come out of this bizarre time yeah no that's so true and I think as well on that note let's maybe mention the things that we're not managing to do because we are choosing to write instead oh (laughs) do you want a list um I just think um yeah I think sometimes when we talk about fitting in things like writing we are having to let other things go and so for me because my kids stay up, my son stays up very late and he, requ- he requires me to be present as he's falling asleep. Um, I can't work in the evenings because he doesn't fall asleep mm-hmm. till about 11 p.m. Um, so I um, spend my evenings with them. And so I don't actually watch TV, for instance. <laughs> like I just mm-hmm. don't watch TV. I watch TV every other weekend when they're with their dad and I can binge a bit of TV if I feel like it. Um, but it's just really funny because I know a lot of people that are getting through a lot of TV because it's lockdown and they're watching all these series and all these things. And I haven't seen anything hardly, although I have just um, started that amazing French series on um, Netflix that um, Call Your Agent, which is fabulous and totally funny, but I'll probably only be watching it every other weekend. Um, <laughs> so, so it's just, I, for me, that's not a sacrifice. TV's great and I really enjoy it when I get a chance to do it, but I don't really care that much it's fine it's fine that my evenings are caught up with my kids because actually my children are both at school for various different reasons um, mostly to do with um, disability and our unusual family setup and all sorts of things so I can actually work between nine and three um, which is amazing I'm actually fully the last month so most of January well not all of January because it took a while for our support things to get in place with this most recent lockdown but um but once they did I've been working nine till three um solidly on this current thing that I'm working on um but interestingly um I'm letting and have let for the past year lots of other things go like tv like certain household things I've got the takeaway for the first time I never used to get takeaway I know that sounds really weird but I think maybe because I'm when you're out and about in the world and you were allowed to be out and about in the world and you could like buy lunch sometimes or do things like that that felt like my takeaway treat yeah and my kids are a bit fussy with food anyway so I don't know it never really spent where it felt that worth spending money on takeaway I don't know so now it's funny like I'm I'm some nights I'm just like I'm not cooking I'm just not gonna cook (laughs) <laughs> and that feels like something that I'm letting go. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it feels like there's other things that I'm I'm letting go instead of the writing. And they're kind of very, I'm very deliberately um, choosing writing on top of a whole lot of other things. Yeah, um, I think it, it almost works out like a game of economics, I think, when you're working out when you're going to do your writing. It's not possible for everything to keep going. Something has to give. Mm. Um, and so for me, um, the bathroom isn't half as clean as I would <laughs> like it to be. Yeah. It's clean enough. Um, I have to realise that I will not dust as regularly as I used to um and the kids clothes won't always be put away in exact 
lead the right place and sometimes <laughs> and not at all sometimes actually most of the time they will wear our socks and I've come to terms with that I am not spending my life matching socks in fact I got this genius idea that I was going to buy everybody the same color of socks which is fine but then it means that sometimes the kids are wearing like grown-up socks and sometimes I'm wearing kids socks multiple methods because this is this is one of the banes of my life so um socks yeah socks oh my goodness so um what I've discovered um and this has been the best solution I can come up with if anyone else has this problem <laughs> um places like M&S um have and I think John Lewis in a few places, they have black socks that all you can see when you're wearing shoes is the black. But on the sole, there's a color. So then I know whose socks they are because the colored ones with the stripes are one child's and the colored ones with the little animals are another child's. But it doesn't uh, matter if they're odd, if they're odd colors, because no one is like, at least we know they're the child's ones and not mm-hmm. when I have the entirely plain black ones. Uh, yeah, that's actually quite clever. End up wearing my socks, but yeah. So <laughs> this is so ridiculous having a conversation about socks. But this is the thing. These are System. the things that I like. Putting away clean laundry is the job that is always feels like it's hanging over my head. I feel like mm-hmm. I can stay on top of cleaning everything, but I can't stay on top of putting everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean to be fair, I have to also give credit to my husband who puts away a lot of laundry. And I hate, I detest folding laundry. There's nothing that makes it look like your whole life is just kind of flashing past you very, very quickly as much as folding laundry. It's just, it's a horrible job to do. So I try not to do it. It, The answer Um, for me is always an audio book and a glass of wine. And that's how I get through them. (laughs) that's probably very practical I mean yeah I never used to be the kind of person to delegate and I've learned to delegate over the last couple of years and also I literally am really really dull I have no hobbies I I basically write and I parent and I go for like endless circular walks around the neighborhood (laughs) and that's pretty much all I do I don't do like I don't make banana I do actually make banana bread that's a lie because the children <laughs> love cake and I'm too mean I'm too mean to buy bought cake so um I do still make I make them cake I don't make very good cake but um yeah I don't I do that that's like a necessity that's not a hobby no, I don't have I don't have yeah I have no hobbies there's lots of things I'd like to do um my husband bought me a jigsaw I really love doing jigsaws but I just don't do jigsaws and I know that doesn't sound like a great loss to most people probably (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing a jigsaw but um yeah I I really I don't have any kind of extracurricular activities at the moment at all except reading obviously yes but I kind of I I the way that I rationalize letting myself sit down to read is again I kind of go well it's sort of work because I'm kind of interesting so you have to, in your mind, you feel like, is that always or is that just with everything that's going on right now that you have to rationalise, saying that it's, it's okay because it's good for me, because it's part of my work? Yeah, I used to um, read for pleasure. I loved reading. Um, and I think this is probably something to talk about another time, particularly maybe in the MA um, episode. But what happened was, is when I did the MA, we were talking a lot about reading as a way to write. Um, and you you really can't become a good writer, I don't think, if you don't read widely and sometimes read things that you don't like to work out what's being done and yeah. what's going wrong. Um, and after Miami, I really didn't enjoy reading for quite a while because I was distracted. I was always going, well, what are they doing? Mm. so the using what's happening um where are the plot points what's the structure and I would read with a notebook next to me and and take notes and I would annotate the text and I was constantly trying to work out what to do and funnily enough I've not really done that over the last wee while I think I'm actually reading in a more pleasurable way but I still do the whole give myself permission to sit down by sort of 
thinking it's it's work yeah oh that's so interesting because I have I would say my reading falls into two categories and it's re it's reading for work and reading for pleasure but um the pleasure definitely crosses over both bounds for sure Mm. but it's still I still designate it separately somehow but at the same time I'm and again this is something we might talk about in the future I'm quite fierce about my my um time of taking care of myself (laughs) so I'm quite I am quite good about being like no 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 I need to do something that's that's going to keep me on an even keel and that means I need to read right now yeah well I think I'm terribly guilty about reading unless of course I have a looming looming deadline or yeah um children who scream me if something obviously well it's funny you should say that because I've been during this lockdown prioritizing reading every day during the day um usually kind of when it gets is getting a bit dark so maybe about half four there's that time between needing to do dinner and the whole getting everybody ready for bed bit and it's there's a lull a kind of natural lull in the day Mm. and I'll sit down and I do sit down and read um maybe for about half an hour and it's been amazing yeah. and I actually don't think I'll give that up either that's yeah that it's the perfect time of day to read um I think it's I um I'm not always sitting to read at that point but I am usually um for years actually my kids have had um like 5 p.m comes along and that's screen time and so at that point, usually what I would do is put in um, my earphones and listen to an audiobook while I'm like cooking dinner and like pottering and folding laundry and all that crap. And um, obviously screen time is like bleeding outwards in all directions at the moment. But um, but it's still yeah. when hopefully when things go slightly back to normal, um, that that time of day has always been the time of day that I've listened to an audiobook and I love it. It's like, oh, I get to have just this weird little bit of time just for me but also I'm kind of doing something useful at the same time but I get to do something really pleasurable at the same time as well um and on that note should we talk about what we're reading at the moment or what we have been reading that is interesting at the moment yeah absolutely I am very nearly finished and I have like just eaten this book up I've gone through it so quickly and I'm late to the party and I, I feel so foolish for having left it this long but I am reading Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell and it is amazing I think Maggie O'Farrell is a brilliant writer she's a brilliant writer anyway but in this book it just feels like a writer just hitting her stride she has just come into her own and just it's as if she's just arrived on the page and said actually you know what I'm going to show you what I can do and this Mm -hmm. is what I can do and it's amazing because it doesn't even feel like it's historical fiction it feels fresh and modern and the characters feel so modern and it's also utterly heartbreaking it is as a mother it is just such a sad book I was in tears this afternoon while I was reading it the kids were saying mommy what's wrong it's a very sad book it's um it's brilliant I love it I think I'll probably get it finished tonight but I also am at that stage of going I don't want to finish this I just I that was my without doubt my favorite fiction book of last year it is it's amazing just oh and like like you say it's just it is just I'm was re was was actually I listened to it and in fact the um the audiobook is is fantastic if anyone does need to for accessibility reasons or prefers to listen to audio the audio of Hamlet is incredible but um it just was stunned by how she told that story mm, how cleverly she told that story yeah and how seamlessly she told that story what could have been very complicated jumping between timelines not using people's first names but it wasn't confusing at all. It was completely clear all mm-hmm. the time, all the time what's happening. And she's so clever about it. And it's just so heartbreaking and beautiful. And oh, I just, I loved it so much. Absolutely, It is. It. It's, it, it's just perfect. And I think sometimes with historical fiction, there's the risk of having to get history on the page and needing to cram everything in. And she very seamlessly weaves in mm-hmm. how it was. Yeah. And I, 
I saw an um, uh, interview with her at Edinburgh International Book Festival recorded last year. She was being interviewed by Stuart Kelly. It was a brilliant interview. It was well worth looking at. And I think it was in that interview that she spoke about the decision to only use words that were in the vernacular in the 1600s. So she that was almost like a, a constraint on her writing that she had to make sure that every word she used was in currency then. But I think that doing that gives it a kind of historical undertone that she just weaves all these things in. But also the prose is very sharp. Yeah. And any unnecessary detail, but somehow you see it it's a very visual book as well I find that I've got all these kind of scenes in my head I can see it all happening I actually went and researched earlier all the houses that Shakespeare had lived in and and what her house was like and things because I wanted to kind of get it more firm in my yeah. head and just as well her um the main character she's just so wonderful and vivid and it's it's incredible that Maggie O'Krauss made this story, which is, you know, about Shakespeare, not about Shakespeare at all. It's not really about him yeah. at all. It's about yeah. her. Um, and I love that. And she's completely kind of rewritten this woman who historians have kind of written off, have always just written mm-hmm. off this wife of Shakespeare that's been always written off. Um, and she's just yeah. imagined this whole incredible person. And yeah, it's just fabulous. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. And I also, I love that Agnes, um, Shakespeare's wife, that she really is responsible in the book mm. for there being Shakespeare. Yes. And so that, yeah. that we, without her, there would be this huge kind of yawning gap in mm. British literature, well, not just British literature, really, when you think about his contribution, yeah. there would just be an absence. Um, and to give her that responsibility um, really does make it it, it, she just feels like such a fresh character. I just really am loving it. So I'm really grateful for lockdown and prolonged time to read um, at the moment. So what are you reading? Well, I've been reading a lot for work this past week, but um, but something I did really enjoy, and I think I might have mentioned it to you, I've just read the, or just listened to, actually, this is one of the audiobooks I've listened to, The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp. Did I tell you about this? Yes, you did. Yeah. So Twyla Tharp is an American, um, she's a choreographer and she talks about creativity um, in the general sense as it, as it pertains to every kind of creative person. And she uses her own experience, but also the experience of lots of different artists that she's come across. And so I love it because I love hearing about creativity from a different perspective. That's mm-hmm. not like completely um, mired down in like a specific craft, but mm-hmm. sort of broadens it out. And I just, there was this one particular chapter that she had that talked about this idea of scratching, that you scratch around from your ideas and the way she described it was so incredible and so vivid. And I realized that this is what I've done. This is what I've always done, which is you get a little hint of something and you follow mm-hmm. your curiosity and you just yeah. keep scratching at it and you keep scratching at it. And eventually you will dig enough that you see what it is that caught your curiosity in the first mm-hmm. place. And it will give you that thread to work yes. on and it will give you and you can just keep taking your steps and this idea that you don't necessarily know where you're going with something mm-hmm. and if you get curious about something you explore it you scratch at it and it takes you in a direction and then um and and it's all about trusting yourself and trusting that process that if you get curious about something and you explore that curiosity will, will be rewarded, like you will mm-hmm. see it. Um, and it's funny because I think um, this is something that we will go into and I think talk about in another episode, but this idea of like um, in both my work as a photographer and also now as a writer, that idea of trusting yourself and trusting um, where your curiosity is taking you in the creative process. And, um, and I just thought I'd never heard it articulated in that way before. And I just loved that. I loved it. So it's, I would really recommend it if anyone um, is interested in reading about creativity, it's a really good one. And it pertains to all, obviously all kinds of creativity, not specifically writing, but um, yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I love this idea of scratching. I think that um, 
but that happens so often as well that sometimes you you have this idea and you think oh my goodness this is it and then you scratch and it's actually not it mm-hmm. and I think it's yeah. actually quite important to to sometimes realize that you you might write the first chapter of something and it might not be anything but it also might not be anything at that point in time mm-hmm. but it might not be wasted two three years down the line it might be something that you go back to you just might not have been able at that time to see the potential in it or see it might not have the right it was. yeah exactly yeah like I'm so. in my next project coming back to some ideas I had a little bit before I wrote my last book um but it's what my last book brought up the questions mm-hmm. that came up during interviews and in all the podcasts and radio and, um, and different conversations I had around the book when it came out, um, the thoughts I had initially before I wrote that book and then the questions I had <laughs> when I released that book and people, it was all those, those ideas around ten, uh, from Tender were out there in the world that kind of then led me to where I am now and what I'm writing next. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, every book uh, changes you. Like you're not the same person when you finish writing a book as you were at the beginning um, and it, it shapes you in new ways as well. So I think sometimes you need to kind of go through that process to understand what it was that you were thinking before. Yeah. I'm certainly doing that as well with, with what I'm hoping to work on next, yeah. which I think is probably a good juncture to talk about what we're working on um, currently, because obviously you, your first book is out and into the world and you've done a lot of promotion and press and talking about the book. Um, yeah. And that is ongoing as well. Um, for instance, I've got two podcasts that I'm a guest on next week talking about the book specifically. So that's kind of going to be an ongoing background thing. And then the paperback will come out in this summer. Mm-hmm. So that will have I'll have a little round again of, of promotion around that but currently writing wise I am working on my next proposal and it's almost done it's almost done my agent's reading at the moment it needs a bit of tweaking but it is almost there um so we'll see what happens with that fingers crossed something happens with mm-hmm. that um but that it's really that is all starting to really come together in my mind which is really satisfying experience because these ideas have been like I said it's like sort of scratching around in my head since tender came out and then they've really now come together so I'm doing I'm working on a um, that proposal and um I am working on a novel which I started last year which um I've had a bit of a pause from since before Christmas because of everything that's happened in the world um Mm -hmm. And part of that is because I've had to put all of my photography work on pause because of everything that's going on in the world. And so I really do have to concentrate on kind of paid writing work. Um, So the novel is very much like fun writing. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's very much a side project rather than a main work thing. And it's been really wonderful. But I'm actually hoping that February is, I'm going to be back into the novel again. I really want to be back in. I'm not going to set myself a really unattainable word count though I think I'm going to stick with kind of if um 5,000 words a month as a kind of just to keep me rolling through it so I'm just mm-hmm. in it so I'm not getting too far out of it um but yeah so they're the two main projects but I'm also in the process of writing a course so a different kind of writing thing and um and then in an ongoing way I am I do pitch to newspapers and stuff and I do a little bit of writing articles and stuff on the side and I write my newsletter so there's lots of various lots of different things happening (laughs) and so um and so Ali you're in um you're kind of quite deep in your edits and and when uh when is when is this round of edits kind of coming to an end um well I need to have the book delivered by October um but I like to kind of plan for the worst (laughs) so and particularly I think last year kind of taught us to plan for nothing but if you're planning for something plan for it to go a bit wrong um so I'm hoping that I will have the kind of a, a really solid good draft um I will be finishing the end by next week 
-hmm. and then by the end of February I'm hoping to have uh, a really good solid nice draft um, for me and my editor to work on together we've been we um, it's been split so instead of me delivering a whole book which I found just absolutely mind-blowingly terrifying that I might get something wrong. So I've been, the, it, the book is in three parts. So I've sent each part as it goes mm. to my editor. So I've already got feedback on the first two parts, which is a significant chunk. I think the first two parts added together total about 80,000 words. So there's quite a bit that needs taken out, but I know where I'm going with that and I know what I'm doing and I know where the kind of big structure well not structural but the big kind of prose changes are and I know where there's less changes so it's feeling that it's kind of now taking the shape of a book and I can see where it's going and what it is mm -hmm. so yeah I'm hoping that I will kind of have got that sort of out my head because it's obviously occupying mm -hmm. a lot of headspace <laughs> at the moment um yeah so that should be kind of wrapping that up quite soon and then obviously they'll be going back and I expect that there will be further drafts and further yeah. things to change but I'm hoping that that is more on a sentence level yeah. than a rewriting level mm -hmm. which it again it's still a lot of work but it's different work as well yeah. so yeah and you're 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 also working on a couple of other little things on the I certainly am yeah I decided um I part of my MA I covered um TV and screenwriting and I thought it was just hell I thought it was awful I'd say I'm never doing that I'm never going near that and I wasn't and then I just realized that something that I wanted to do wasn't working in the way I was doing it and so I did a little short course to refresh myself and thought you know what I'm going to try this and who knows who knows what will happen with it but I'm writing a tv treatment at the moment and I am really enjoying it it's oh, completely so different it's a totally different way of writing I get when I'm writing prose I get very hung up on the order of words and the meaning of words and, and all of this and what I find with writing the treatment is that it is visual it is how to convey something visually how mm. to convey action it's a completely different way of writing oh, um, it's so exciting to try yeah completely different and just yeah yeah it feels quite freeing I think because again it must be quite like you with the novel there isn't the pressure there oh yeah there's no pressure on on this on this novel I'm working on I mean like no one's no one needs it <laughs> it's quite <laughs> nice it's quite nice to be writing something something that nobody's expecting you know I sold tender on um proposal I hadn't written I hadn't yeah. written a single word and I look back now and I think oh my god I'm completely insane I was a brand new writer I hadn't even written a chapter I would not advise <laughs> that to anyone listening don't do that write at least write one chapter please I don't know how I managed to yeah. start a book without a chapter but anyway, um, so uh, I think probably we should uh, wrap it up. And yes, yeah. also I would just say that, you know, this first episode, we, we wanted to do a bit of a deep dive into what we, the two of us, are up to, particularly in our writing lives at the moment. Um, but going forward, we're going to talk about lots of different things um, about writing and our writing lives. And it won't be all about the things that we're working on. Um, <laughs> I think that would just kind of bore people to death. Eventually, I'm sure they're fine for this episode. But I, I hope so. I hope yes. so. But going I forward, we won't be quite so nerdy about our own particular projects. Yes. But we do like to get a bit nerdy about writing and also um, about finding the time and creating the time to write as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's so important to realise that um, we all have finite amounts of time and the work's not going to get done until you give yourself that permission to go and get on with it and to treat it like it's work and to take it seriously um, and to schedule time to do it. Otherwise, it's just going to be this, this thing that doesn't actually absolutely and I'm, I think what we I think as well there'll be future episodes specifically around I think um, project managing 
um, with writing projects as well. That's exactly <laughs> what it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's project, it's management. project managing involved. But um, um, thank you so much for joining us on our first um, episode of Not Too Busy to Write. And I would say, you know, we did name the podcast Not Too Busy to Write slightly tongue-in-cheek because of course sometimes we are too busy to write like for instance at the moment I am you know I do technically have two projects on the go but one of them is very neglected <laughs> because I've you know the times we're in I've had to concentrate my energies in one particular area um, namely the area that I might get paid for sooner rather than later rather than the more enjoyable um, freeing project of the novel and um, so this podcast is definitely not going to be about um, you are never too busy to write. You have to always write. Um, life is complicated. Life is very complicated, I think, for both Ali and I. And I'm sure for every listener, life is a bit complicated, especially right now. And so it will often be challenging. But it is possible, even if it doesn't look quite as we would like. And, as long, and it may not even be quite as much time as we would like, but I think it is possible to still um, keep writing and, um, and to, to keep something that's just for us and not for everybody else in our families as well. You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can find show notes, including the best ways to get in touch with us, as well as any reading recommendations mentioned in the episode at nottoobusytowrite.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe and please go ahead and leave us a little review. It really helps others to find the podcast. You can find Ali on Instagram at Ali underscore Miller underscore writes and Penny at Penny Windsor. Music and editing is by Ewan Miller McMeekin. <laughs>